everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Above the Fold with the Ag Communicators Network, a podcast for the latest headlines and conversations in ag media. I'm Holly Spengler, editor at Prairie Farmer and executive editor at Farm Progress. Today's episode is brought to you by Wiffles Hybrids. Today, we are knee deep into our series on the future of print media and agriculture. And I am talking with my friend, Natalina Sense Bausch, who is the associate digital director for Successful Farming. Natalina's has had some really cool experiences traveling the country and telling farmers stories, and she's going to share a little bit of that with you. Um, And that was even before her time with Successful Farming. Since then, she's covered equipment for them. She writes for their website. She does a lot of really cool storytelling, um, both in print and online there. And so I asked her to have a conversation with me for this series because I wanted to hear from a younger ag journalist about what um, she sees coming in print and how it's changing and evolving and how she's working to tell stories online um, and what she sees coming on, on that platform too. And I wanted to know just in general, what what, do you, what does she think about where farm magazines have been and where they're going? So here is my conversation with Natalina Sensbausch on the future of print media and agriculture. Enjoy. Hey, Natalina, thank you so much for uh, joining me here for our next uh, installment here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. You bet, you bet. So you and I have talked some in the past, you know, just about um, how we tell stories (laughs) and how how we do our jobs and all those kinds of things. And as I was thinking about, okay, who should our next podcast be within this series on the future of of print in agriculture, you came to mind because I feel like you have a little bit of a different perspective. You've worked in, you know, a lot of digital media here in in, in your career so far and and you're younger than a lot of us. <laughs> so, you know, I just I'm just wanting to hear, you know, some of your perspective and 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 what some of this looks like to you. But I'm curious, like um, you know, your background, you came out of college at Iowa State, right? Yep. And and launched right into some digital storytelling. <laughs> yeah, it was a little unique uh, entry point, but uh, it was an amazing way to launch my career. And I've always been the sort of person that kind of takes the not well-beaten path, uh, f- forges my own path. And I don't think anybody close to me was surprised that I uh, started <laughs> off storytelling in a unique way. Right, right. So, so what was that like? Tell me, tell us what you did a little bit there. So I graduated uh, with a degree in agriculture business from Iowa State. And literally a week later, I packed up this tiny lime green Ford Fiesta that I had. It was a little hatchback. And I set out to go to all 50 states and talk to farmers and ranchers and really just tell their story and explain to the world their why. Um, I was able to partner with Bex. I had interned with them the year prior and really had been touched by their storytelling in in college when I saw a speaker come to a club I was involved with and they shared their Why I Farm videos. Um, And I think that college club meeting was the first time I really realized how powerful storytelling was. Mm -hmm. Um, I sat in that auditorium and was like, whoa, I want a job that makes people feel like I just felt watching that video. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I I had a personal goal of making it to all 50 states by the time I was 25. And I was pretty far off from that goal um, when I was getting ready to graduate college. And I knew there was no way I'd ever crossed off the list if I just, you know, signed on the dotted line for a 
a white Ford F-150 and, you know, salary package, like a lot right. of my classmates were, um, that was a great fit for them, but I've just always been, I was the girl that made my, my prom dress out of duct tape because I didn't want to be like everybody else. So, <laughs> um, you know, making my own job up, uh, straight out of school was, uh, pretty par for par for the course. I don't yeah. think it shocked my parents too much. That's awesome though. That's awesome. And, and the number of farmers you were able to interact with. Oh my goodness. I met over a hundred farm families, sat down at the kitchen tables, sometimes stayed in their homes overnight. Um, like I'd meet them and they'd wonder where I was staying for the evening and, you know, insist that I stay with them. Um, Mm. and that was just amazing. I've, I'm still in touch with so many people that I met on that road trip Mm -hmm. or, um, run into people who remember me crossing the, the, the country in the car that looked like a jelly bean. And, <laughs> uh, it, I couldn't have asked for a better way to, to kind of jump into adult life. If you can yeah. even call living out of your car for a year, adult life. <laughs> it sounds like, I mean, what an experience though. Um, but then you went straight from there, right. To successful farming. Kind of. So after immediately after the road trip, I was overwhelmed with all kinds of opportunities to freelance and speak at conferences and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe go back to a farm bureau that had connected me to farmers in their state. Mm -hmm. And that was a really fun and rewarding experience. Um, But it was totally flying by the seat of my pants. And I realized (laughs) I had no business plan for that. Um, I had just completed a year of pretty much doing whatever I wanted. Um, and not, you know, Bex gave me a lot of creative freedom. I picked the farmers. I determined my road trip schedule. If I wanted to work until 3am and you know, that worked for that. Um, A lot of independence. Yeah. I had a lot of independence, which was great. Um, but I started to realize I should probably learn how to have a boss (laughs) that tells me no. And then I have to stick to a budget so that I didn't become some 40 year old person who never had to work with anybody and was a terrible (laughs) coworker. Right. So, um, I actually, somebody who had followed the road trip, um, that was working at successful farming. I basically only knew him from Twitter, um, Mm -hmm. had reached out to me and said they had an open position and just kind of out of respect for him and the cheerleader he'd been for me on the road trip. I was like, well, I'll apply. Also, I just had no idea what my I knew I'd gained some skills and that I had a really unique experience, but I had no idea what that meant for, um, the job marketplace and how seriously other people would take that experience. So I honestly applied never intending to accept. And then (laughs) I accepted and never intended to stay more than two years. And five years Mm -hmm. later, here I am, um, still, still loving, um, working for successful farming and the storytelling and, um, news that I get to share with our readers. Yeah. And have those been primarily digital positions that you've been in at Successful Farming? Yeah. So I started as digital content editor and um, I've been able to take on some more responsibilities since then. I've always had the majority of my time is spent on our website, Mm agriculture.com and other platforms like social media um, where we live. Um, But a lot of my content also goes in the magazine, um, anywhere from, so earlier on in my career here, I had more responsibilities covering new machinery products. So those 
articles obviously went up right away on our website that, hey, this manufacturer has this shiny new piece of equipment you want to read all about and see 50 pictures of. Um, <laughs> and then it made, you know, the magazine um, as well. Um, and then I got to write stories for the magazine, you know, two and four and longer page features of people's farms. A lot of uh, the people that I got to tell stories of are people that I met on the road trip. Um, I just recently got to do a story featuring um, Jane Marshall, who's a farmer in Ohio. Um, she was just in our July issue. And she was one of the first farmers that I met on the road trip that I did. And one of the biggest cheerleaders of the road trip and just my career since. And it was really, really fun to um, watch, kind of look back on our six-year relationship from when I first pulled in her driveway with my little lime green Ford Fiesta, I'd never met her in person. Mm -hmm. And to get to tell her story in the pages of successful farming with big spread photos um, was amazing. Yeah. Those are the people that make the job, isn't it? I mean. Oh, absolutely. I love that. You know, with, you know, just looking at your background and some of that, I mean, what was it like when you walked into successful farming offices the first time? Because I'm just thinking of like this publication that's been around so long and revered and, and just a lot of history, right? Like, like a lot of, like a lot of public or farm publications do, but like, it is something to walk into that building, right? <laughs> first yeah. time. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. There's like a stoplight just that kind of sets you right outside the offices and makes you ponder, you know, this huge historic building that you're about to walk into. Um, and I remember the first time I actually went to the office was to um, meet a staff member who'd been following my road trip and he wanted a hat for my road trip. So I volunteered to bring a hat and uh, I went out to lunch with a group of editors. And I think we just walked down the street to Americana. Um, and it was like I said, you mentioned like kind of intimidating, like walking up to this building, successful farming's name is on the building. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can tell from the additions, like it's been around for a long time, so much history there. Um, but then just walking down the street and having lunch with those folks, like they were talking about their favorite podcasts and what their kids were up to. And it was a real reminder that there's real people behind the brand too. Um, yeah. And I think that's part of what attracted me to join the team ultimately mm -hmm. was, you know, there were real human beings who had a passion for solving pro farmers problems and telling their stories. Yeah. So I asked Bill Spiegel this last time too, but what do you remember your first, um, you know, memory of a farm magazine growing up or whenever that might've been? Yeah. So my parents didn't farm. I'm a couple generations removed from production agriculture, but my dad had a business on main street. And I remember in his little waiting area, there was always successful farming among other, you know, non-agriculture publications. And I always, I always liked it because there were big colorful pictures. Um, I, I remember looking for the all around the farm page where we have the illustration of like the farmer inventions or farmer hacks before yep. I even knew what that was. Um, before we use so, the word hack as a <laughs> description. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny now to look back and think about, you know, the things that I looked for as a kid, um, you know, like our art director has really cool ways of making graphics or um, infographics, mm -hmm. um, you know, maps you can follow throughout the story. 
Um, those are the things that are now part of my job that I had no idea sitting in my dad's office, you know, like waiting for him to get out of a meeting so he could drive me to ball practice or right. Right. You were just home for dinner (laughs) would, would be part of my career. Yeah. I was kind of the same way in that, like, I mean, we farm, my parents farmed, like there were farm magazines everywhere and Illinois agri news and all the papers and stuff, but I just, it never occurred to me that like, Hey, that's a job, (laughs) which sounds dumb. I, I think I wanted to be a doctor at that point. So I just wasn't thinking about that stuff, but I have strong memories of a prairie farmer laying there. You know, I remember mm-hmm. Andy Markwart covers and, you know, a particular picture of an ostrich, like the ugliest bird ever, but like an amazing photo that I remember what 30 years later. So, um, I don't know. It just always makes me think like there's a lot of impact in that printed word, yeah. whether we are thinking about it or not. Um, yeah, it's amazing how those visuals stay in your mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. So you're doing some writing both for digital and for print. Like, are there are there differences in the way that you are writing those stories, or are you generally writing them the same way, or how does some of that play out? Yeah, I definitely don't have that all figured out. But I think the beauty of writing for digital is you can go back and look at your data and see if it worked or not. Um, So, you know, when I'm sitting down to write a story that's for print first, I don't have to worry about SEO or if my title has keywords Mm -hmm. or um, if I have a clickable picture um, because Mm -hmm. I get to present multiple pictures at once to my reader. Um, I don't, you know, getting them to stop flipping through the magazine is you're looking for a different visual than scrolling Facebook or (laughs) your Twitter feed or Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So there are some differences that way. Um, But I think at the core of it, you have to be answering a question or solving a problem or, or telling a really, you know, captivating story. So yeah, there's, there's some similarities and some differences that we can, I feel like sometimes we can get hung up on the details, but they're also really fun to pick apart and analyze uh, when you have all the data tools at your fingertips. Yeah, for sure. I think back to like the early blogging days, you know, and I want whatever year that was, 08, 09, somewhere in there when we started blogging a lot and, and, and just kind of learning in my own head, like this is a totally different style of writing than what I do mm-hmm. For, for print was really what we were doing primarily then. Um, and, and like, like the blog was so just almost conversational, you know, here's mm-hmm. this thing I'm thinking about today, or here's this thing that just happened and some thoughts on that and very, very conversational and very casual. Um, and, and then, you know, sometimes I'd get an idea or, you know, that a blog would catch on or whatever and think, well, that might make a column. So then I'd rewrite it, but a little more, um, with more of a print voice, I guess. But I, I think yeah. over time in the however many years that'd be since then, 12, 13 years, like I think we've kind of married some of those voices. You know, I think our print conversation is a little or our print um style is a little more conversational than maybe it was mm-hmm. then. And obviously blogs are sort of just different different entities now too. But um it's just interesting how how some of that has evolved over time, I think. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think, you know, uh, like, like you've worked with a lot of farmers over time, <laughs> either through your, your tour, now through your, your work at Successful Farming, like, do you think, you know, is there a difference in, in the way farmers value or perceive the value, 
you know, what they read online versus in print because they have that thing in their hand. Is there a difference there or no? There's so many ways you can pull apart that question and, you know, segment it um, by different demographic data. And, you know, some, some aspects of that is harder to get data on. Um, so it's, it's harder to compare apples to apples. And if, you know, if either of us had this all figured out, we probably wouldn't be sitting here, right. but <laughs> it's, um, it is really interesting to me. You know, I think there are some things that at first it really frustrated me when I started at successful farming, that, um, I explained who I was introduced, who I, I work for and people were like, oh yeah, successful farmer. Or, you know, yeah, I get that and progressive farming and, (laughs) you know, like our our name hasn't changed in over a hundred years. Like, um, but Greg Hillier Hillier and I have this running joke, right? Because there's an old, old photo of like a farmer. I can't remember if he's on a front porch or going to be next to the front porch, but he's kicked back in a rocking chair and reading a farm magazine. And I get that photo sent to me every once in a while. Like, oh, look, somebody's reading the prairie farmer. And if you zoom in, it says progressive farmer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Forward to Greg. (laughs) (laughs) And I know, you know, different editors have gotten feedback for stories they didn't write at all. They were in a different publication, you know, that sort of thing that Uh I think for us as editors, we get hung up on a lot of the details or, you know, we put in a lot of thought and a lot of effort and (laughs) rightly so, you know, brands are an important thing. Um, But farmers just as often don't necessarily it isn't the name of successful farming or the red logo that triggers the memory for them. It's, oh, I know that fourth slot in the, the morning newsletter that I get, uh, it, it's just got like three things to three highlights. They don't mm-hmm. even know the name of it, but they know yeah. that brings value to them. Yeah. Or um, that last page in the magazine that always has a, a doodle of a farmer's idea. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while we sometimes get hung up on that's called all around the farm and we, you know, brand it that spent time or, naming that <laughs> yeah um and you know that's important for internally keeping me organized but also you know brands are important but it has always surprised me um how little even though they're they've been reading these publications for years and years and years and years mm-hmm. um some of those brand names or or details that matter to us don't always matter to them right Right. Our administrative assistant, when I first started, her name was Sally Crable, and she had the best stories of, you know, people who would call in and say, you know, my grandpa's story picture ran magazine in the 1950s. Do you think you could find that? And of course, we had all these bound volumes in a room and, you know, and if Sally had time, she'd go look, you know, and, and she might go through 10 years worth of magazines looking for that and call him back and say, I'm sorry, I didn't find anything. And they'd be like, oh, maybe that was in successful farming. <laughs> <laughs> and she wanted to just pull her hair out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a big detail, right? That kind of matters there. Yeah. But you're right. But I think it kind of reminds me once I set aside my personal offense that they don't remember my brand <laughs> and you know all our hard work and um that I'm not my content is competing against what they're reading on Facebook what they're reading on Twitter what you know the drama queen in their community Facebook page is posting <laughs> right that 
it, that's where, what I'm competing against mm -hmm. and I need to drive, give them more value than answer the question that's top of mind for them more than Facebook or Twitter or right. the influencer on Instagram or right. that sort of thing. Right. That story you're telling has to provide value right in this minute. And whether that's an emotional story or it's a, it's a how-to or it's a, here's something you need to know about nitrogen or whatever, like it's mm -hmm. got to provide value. I feel like in that minute and, mm -hmm. and, you know, on whatever platform. I feel like, um, just with how busy everybody's lives are these days, mm -hmm. you know, we are competing against that immediate news, the mm -hmm. what's on your phone right now, um, giving you push notifications right now that I'm not proud of it, but I don't sit down and research things or uh, request literature for something I'm going to purchase the same way my dad or my grandpa have, you know, mm -hmm. when they're looking to make a purchase decision, I Google it and look at the Amazon reviews and, um, you know, maybe ask yeah. a, a niche Facebook group that I'm in, mm -hmm. um, that sort of thing that are at least my generation's willingness to research just for the sake of improving your knowledge or building up your internal library of a subject matter just right. isn't, isn't quite the same as, you know, my, my grandpa's generation, my grandpa had a designated room in his house. Uh, it was called the study. And my <laughs> grandpa was a pretty academic person to begin mm -hmm. with, but um, he would just go in there to read to learn, to intentionally yeah. learn. And, um, you know, our, our society may not be better for it, but our, our generation just doesn't do that. Um, yeah. and I think that's forced us to adapt our content and the way we distribute our content. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We don't, we don't have that kind of focus. I don't think, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, or, or, or like conscientiously set aside time to go learn. It, right. it, it happens on the fly. I mean, and, and do you see that like in your generation of farmers, you know, that you're, you're working with and writing about and writing for, you know, is there that same sort of, um, I don't want to say lack of focus because that's not it, but they're just pulled in so many directions. And sometimes they're pulled in so many directions by this phone in their hand that how do you get them to like read the story <laughs> that's on yeah. the phone in their hand? Yeah. And that's not to say like, I think my generation is still interested in learning, Mm -hmm. Um, we just maybe do it at a different pace or in a different medium. Mm -hmm. Um, like I'm, I'm thinking about, um, some friends I recently met up with and, you know, they're interested in like, they're on the go. So they want to listen to a podcast or listen yeah. to the article read to them. Um, mm -hmm. they're still interested in the topic. And I think there are still plenty of farmers in my generation who are really serious about you know, knowing their numbers or knowing the science behind what they're doing. And, um, it's just consumed in a different way. And while they're driving their kids to ball practice or, um, you know, headed across the, the country for some other reason. Yeah. Yeah. I love that feature on like when a story can be read to me, you know, to just pop I, that on doing something. I use it all the time. Um, yeah. I mean, even, even in the mornings for our own content, I have, a lot of the articles that were read or that were generated overnight or um, maybe late afternoon uh, read to me as I get ready in the morning or yeah. um, when I had a commute, I was always listening to podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I just realized what I just said out loud there. I want to listen to that while I'm doing something else. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like your grandpa wasn't doing something else when he was learning. <laughs> but this is where we're at. We're all kind of, of multitasking a lot, I guess. Such a multitasking generation. And even within an article, you know, I might want to read some text and then I want to see a big pretty picture and then I want to see an yeah. embedded social media post and then I want to watch a video. Um, like the odds of me making it clear to the bottom, probably not very high. That right. you know, grandpa was studying in the study for two or three <laughs> yeah. hours, like a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. My dad's stories are, you know, like my grandpa would just go up there for hours and um, you know, maybe there was an opera on in the background, but <laughs> you know, no blaring TV. The kids mm-hmm. were not to interrupt. Um, right. This is dedicated time for for learning and studying. Nobody was watching TikTok next to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, how do you feel like your generation of farmers use the actual printed farm magazine? It's funny because I think there's concern that my generation doesn't care about print or we, we always want it on our phones, which, you know, I think is true, but I'm also, uh, I wrote a story featuring a a young farmer recently and they wanted 15 extra copies, which (laughs) is like more copies than I've ever been requested to supply to any other source. So that tells me that this young farmer was excited about print. The story had run online actually, several months prior and I sent the link and you know that was fine but she wanted 15 print copies uh, of a story that realistically like all these people could have seen already and that tells me she was excited about it she was proud of it 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 still means something to her to have a a tangible magazine that you can point to your face in right do you think like I wonder is that because there's a little more honor you know, like, do they feel honored by that? And so then there's, there more honor in, in having their story in this printed publication, as opposed to the link. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it, it's a little bit more exclusive. Like anybody can post whatever they want on the internet, right? Like yeah. I could start a website tomorrow. It wouldn't have the same readership or, you know, but I could technically send out a newsletter, create Facebook posts, you know, right. getting bound volumes, you know, <laughs> delivered to people's door is, is a little bit more exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And yeah, I don't want to sit here and bash, you know what I mean? Or, or like elevate print over, over digital, you know, unnecessarily. Cause there's some really cool right. things you can do online that you can't do in, in print. And, and I'm sure you guys, you know, you've been involved in some of those projects and, um, maybe something comes to mind, you know, of, of a story you've been able to tell there that you couldn't tell in print quite the same way. Yeah. Um, I will never forget when the derecho came through Iowa, mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago. And that's something that I like realistically, by the time the next print magazine came out, it would have been old news or it would have been some, you know, yeah, we'd talk about maybe volunteer corn issues for next year or something much higher level. Um, right. But I was able to get drone footage and photos published within hours of the storm um, and talk to the state climatologist. And I, I remember we were taking my brother to college up in Ames and mm-hmm. I made my parents take the back roads so that I could like stick my <laughs> phone out the window and take pictures through uh story in Boone counties of all this bent over corn. And, um, you know, farmers were really curious to know like how much damage is really out there is it snapped off is it something that you know can come back up is it too late in the season 
Mm -hmm. um, all these questions that we were able to answer a lot more quickly um, and participate in kind of that conversation that was happening as people were assessing damage and figuring out what resources, you know, what do I do if we lost power or my crop is gone or um, that sort of thing that if we only had print, mm -hmm. uh, we would have messed out almost entirely. Right. Right. The, the print version of that, like you said, it almost goes to analysis, you know, mm -hmm. what, what does this do to corn stocks? What does this do to, I don't know, you know, building, you know, bin availability and all those kind of things mm -hmm. that need to be rebuilt. You know, it, you just go to like that analysis piece of it, as opposed to gosh, look at the devastation, which I feel like a lot of people want that emotional connection to something like that, you know, cause you can sit here and I can sit here and look out at our corn in Illinois and feel like, I mean, it could have been us. It could, it could have been right here and just feel for those, those farmers that went through that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so much emotion tied into so many of the weather stories that even, even the drought monitor that I write up weekly, it's mm -hmm. old news, you know, in, in a couple of days, um, <laughs> right. that we, we'd miss out on that entirely. Um, right. I mean, we can assess how drought impacted the crop at the end of the growing season or, you know, forecast what the next growing season might look like, but mm -hmm. I can pull maps of, you know, down to a 10th of an inch of precipitation that fell in certain areas and, and look at maps and talk to a farmer about what happened this week and, um, get some really impactful stories that way. Yeah, for sure. What kind of feedback do you get, you know, on your print versus digital stories? Because I, I feel like I've noticed some trends in what we, you know, what, what farmers will stop and write in to me about. Um, but do you see that as well? Any kind of difference in, in those two mediums and, and people's tendency? Yeah. To well, I don't have the experience of like before digital to know how that's changed over the years, but I, I listened to your podcast with Bill and, um, you know, I, I don't think people write as many handwritten notes or letters as, um, as there used to be. I've gotten a lot of handwritten notes or letters, um, about like human interest stories, mm -hmm. um, where people emotional. were really touched and yeah, that emotional connection, um, which I appreciate, you know, I've gotten a few emails of like, wow, that was interesting. Or, you know, the derecho coverage, like I, people just kind of reacting to mm -hmm. the shock and awe of the news. Um, but we also <laughs> don't know how to say this, but you get so much feedback from social media. You know, I might wake up to 58 comments on my <laughs> story on Facebook and most of them aren't even directed to me. They're, you know, people debating the, the topic amongst themselves. Right. Um, so I think it's both positive that I can see what people are thinking and how many people I'm making mad uh, by talking <laughs> about something or not talking about something by not acknowledging the drought in this state or focusing too much on <laughs> drought conditions in these states or any, you know, it only gets more controversial from there. That right. um, that's interesting to me. I, my biggest, the biggest place that I've found value in feedback from farmers is um, I like to live tweet events or mm -hmm. news as I cover it. I honestly started because I can't write in a notebook like this fast enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And I need a visual to go with what they're talking about. Yeah. 
And so I just started taking pictures and writing my notes and publishing them live. And Mm -hmm. I get questions from farmers that way who are, Mm -hmm. um, had, you know, a couple models previous that I wasn't even around to know what the, uh, version in the nineties looked like, or if this new version still has that feature, or if they've solved X, Y, Z problem from Mm -hmm. five models ago. And so getting that real-time feedback allows me to customize my content to answer those farmers questions and really gauge, like, I know what I think is important Mm -hmm. or interesting or exciting, but how do my readers feel and what, what problems or what questions do I not even realize I should be asking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating that you could really almost get questions from them while you're at the event or, or while you're whatever it is that you could that you can actually ask and get the answer to and get that in the story. Yeah, there's yeah. been a handful of times that I knew I had an interview coming up with, you know, somebody high up at USDA or somebody mm-hmm. that farmers don't often have access to. And mm-hmm. it's fun to just, you know, tweet out like if you could sit down and have a coffee with so-and-so, what would you ask? And, mm-hmm. um, it, it really helps me figure out, am I on the right track or is there something over here? You know, maybe there's an issue in Missouri that I had no idea about, um, that is relevant for, um, this piece of machinery or this person. So, right. Right. It's a great learning tool for me. I have noticed, you know, when we send out our e-newsletters every day, right? Like, there are a certain group of farmers that I will, you know, if, if they're going to respond, I'll respond right. They'll respond right there. <laughs> you know, like I saw that, I read it, I've got my email address, you know, so they get the, mm-hmm. they get the email newsletter, they click on the story, they read the story, they get to the bottom, there's my email address for comments, they click on it and I get an email right away. And it's, it's just wild to me, you know what I mean? To think somebody has taken time to respond. Um, and, and, and then there's the, like, like you say, all the, the social media comments, um, that maybe aren't as thoughtful, right? Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. are really funny. Like there's some really great, <laughs> um, funny comments out there too, but that's um, so true. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The thoughtfulness definitely, you know, it takes a lot of intention to shut out the distraction, sit down with a piece of paper and a pen these days and track down somebody's address, the stamp, get it in the mail. I don't right. even accomplish it for all the birthday cards. I should send right. out, um, <laughs> that it is extra meaningful when, you know, someone sends in a letter versus, uh, an email or Facebook comment, that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So now Lena, what do you see? And and this is like the, the crystal ball question, right? Like where do you see, um, the ag journalism business going next? I mean, what, what do you see as being the, the future of print and websites and all of that, everything? All the ways well, <laughs> I have to admit my crystal ball is a little overcast today, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I think there's so many fun directions that could go, which is part of what excites me about being in our journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one thing I love about our industry, it is so niche and so close knit, but within agriculture, there's a million different avenues. You know, you could be like a super, super expert on soil science or a super, super expert on avocados <laughs> or, um, you know, soil type. Um, there's so many different things that you could spend so much time learning about. And there are so many people who are excited to share their story and support you in learning in those things. 
So I think there's uh, plenty of material, whether it is in print or in digital. Um, part of what really excites me about working in digital is there is that both immediate response from your reader and there is access to so much data about how much time people are spending with your content. Um, you know, if this title versus that title is meeting their needs more, um, if sending it to them in the morning is working better than sending it at night, or um, you could segment out your audience so that your early birds and your night owls uh, get served different content or, or distribute our, our content. Just like I send articles to my friends who are like, Oh, I, I know you're interested in, in this. And I saw, I came across this, let me serve this to you. Um, I think it's really cool. The potential we have to, um, really be close to our reader because we know our industry so well. And instead of just plop, here's a magazine full of great knowledge that you should sit down and sort through, um, and you figure out for yourself. Uh, what's valuable to you, um, that I can create content and package it in a way that says, hey, Holly, I know you're in Illinois and you have cattle and you have an interest in small businesses and mm -hmm. entrepreneurship and ice cream. Uh, mm -hmm. Here's a few stories I think would be interesting to you. Yeah. Um, I, I've noticed you've been reading a lot of my writing. Feel right. free to you know, show up in here's my inbox. Uh, right. If you have comments or have a story of your own to tell. Um, and it, while it looks different than, you know, shaking hands and maybe meeting people in person, mm -hmm. um, which I don't think is going away. Um, mm -hmm. but we've had a whole window of opportunity open to do some of that virtually, mm -hmm. um, and paired with data, I think can be really powerful. Yeah. That is wild to think how you can personalize content to that degree you know, yeah. the information they're looking for and here, look, here it is just for you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we'll still be publishing farm magazines in 10 years? I sure hope so. Um, <laughs> you know, just like my, my source who wanted 15 copies of her issue of the magazine. I, mm -hmm. I love like watching the stack of magazines grow on my desk. They're like, my name's in there. And I think, there's just something special about it that I, <laughs> it's silly to say as a journalist, I don't have the words for, but um, <laughs> right. it's, it's like the so permanence much, of it, I think. Yeah. That, like that's created and it's not going away, but you know, right. and I share this with Bill and I had it, I had it happen one more time since, since he and I recorded, mm -hmm. um, I had another farmer come up to me and say, Oh, Hey, I was catching up on my reading. And I read that thing you wrote in January and I had to stop and think, what thing did I write in January? You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kept talking and I figured it out, but um, it just hits me over and over again. I, you know, it's that permanence of of a magazine that um, is still laying on the counter, or it's still laying on the coffee table, or it's still mm -hmm. laying on their desk, or it's laying on the floor in the semi. But you're gonna pick it up, you know, mm -hmm. at, at whatever at whatever point. But um, and and I think that's harder to do with an email, yeah, or, or you know, mm -hmm. even like. A story on a website because it's cranks on because there's more that's filled that space. Um, mm -hmm. But I like what you're saying though about like the the possibility to personalize it. I mean that's how you resurface that that story and figure out that yeah. they're going to want to see that again. 
I do think, um, especially with like some of the values of our audience, the ability to give them information in an unplugged um, format is is nice. That even if they do read ninety percent of our content online or you know through their email inbox or on Facebook, mm -hmm. um, our audience is an audience that values slowing down, spending time with family. You know. Mm -hmm when they have the time, you know, when it's mm -hmm. not planting season or um, harvest season, you know, like our people are the ones that people picture sitting out on the porch with a glass of tea and yeah. Yeah. their farm publication. Right. Um, and I think even though our audience may not always have time for that, that's mm -hmm. something they aspire to have. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting. I was talking with Lindsay Kennedy at Ag Media Summit. Of course, Lindsay's an ag communications professor at Texas Tech. And she was sharing how a lot of her students, college students, really want a printed magazine or a printed word of some kind. They're kind of tired mm -hmm. of reading online, you know, and they, and this was in reference to her, um, she has a magazine writing class, you know, where they publish a mm -hmm. magazine each semester, but um I just thought that was interesting. You know, we've kind of gone through this, I don't know, however long it's been, 10, 15 years of Kindles and e-readers and let's read everything on our phones. And I do it too. But maybe there's a generation coming up here who says, yeah, no, <laughs> I want to, I want a printed, a printed magazine, a printed newspaper, whatever it is. Yeah. That their their default or the, what they've grown up with is, you know, watching it on TV and mm -hmm. scrolling it on TikTok and Mm -hmm. you know, re even their textbooks are digital these mm -hmm. days that having something to hold is the new, not really new, but it's different. Right. It sets it apart right. from their norm. It makes it special. Um, right. and it is, uh, it, it just reminds me of like fashion trends of, you know, things that I I'm now getting old enough that I'm like, I wore that for my kindergarten school pictures. I don't want to see that again. And you know, it's on TikTok is like this cute, trendy thing everybody should try. Um, it's not new or exciting to me, but print, I think has a chance to be new and exciting to a generation that, you know, print has not been new and exciting to other generations in the same right. way. That's hilarious because if like my nineties college clothes can now be cool to my college girl, which what in the world? Like nobody saw that coming. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe everything can come back around, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, 90s fashion is a whole, whole rabbit trail. We don't need to head down. That... For sure. For sure. Yeah. Although I did just Crazy, have it's um, coming back. the daughter of one of my best friends from home texted me the other day. I wanted to know if I had any of my Rockies left. Rocky jeans from the yeah. 90s, <laughs> which were quite the thing at that point. Um, and I had to sadly tell her, no, I do not. And also Janet already asked, so <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd hunted those down before and didn't find them. <laughs> yeah. I back. randomly, I have a part-time job at target and like the team section, the first time that I went to the back to like get stuff to stock. And it was like a cropped scalloped, um, shirt with an embroidered butterfly. I was like, no way, <laughs> no way. The butterfly clippies. No. Yes. Yes. It all I think comes I back threw around. a bit about wearing this outfit 20 mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. And here we are. Here we are. Well, Natalina, I appreciate your time and doing this and, and 
really appreciate your perspective, you know, as a young journalist and, and what you're seeing and the technology that you're seeing. And, uh, and uh, I think it'll just be, um, you know, as we, we just keep looking forward, what's, what's, what's next. And it's, it's um, part of the fun of the job <laughs> to figure that out. Yeah. Well, thanks for the conversation. I, uh, like I said, my, my crystal ball is a little overcast, but it's fun to <laughs> brainstorm and, and think about where uh, the future of our industry and the future of our careers can head. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Friends, I sure hope you enjoyed this second episode of our series, The Future of Print Media and Agriculture. I loved what Natalina had to say about personalizing and directing digital content specifically <laughs> to a farmer. Um, and and yet, like seeing the value and honor that still remains when a farmer's been in a magazine and how that's just a, a special, more exclusive thing. I think that's why they call us up and they ask for 15 copies of that issue and why somebody's grandkids want a copy of that 1952 Prairie Farmer. I sure hope you'll stay tuned for the rest of this series. We are grateful to Wiffles Hybrids for sponsoring this conversation. I'm Holly Spangler. Thanks for listening to this episode of Above the Fold with the Ag Communicators Network.